Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Support independent Mi'kmaq media. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email transfer at mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. COVID-19 has been bad news for most of the economy, but the price of gold is riding high. That's sweet for Marathon Gold, which has its eye on developing a series of mammoth open-pit gold mines at Valentine Lake in the interior of so-called Newfoundland. The 200-square-kilometer zone would be located on traditional Beothic and Mi'kmaq territory and interfere with traditional caribou migratory routes. Many people are concerned about the project and the impact on caribou and the rest of the ecosystem. For the 10-year life of the project, a fleet of 32 90-ton trucks will trundle between two open-pit gold mines and the mill. The environmental impact process for the project is in its early days, but Halibut First Nation is not waiting for the income to get on board. The Valentine Lake gold mine was discussed at the last meeting of council on March 21st. Members were barred from the meeting for COVID readings, the band says, and we're still waiting for the minutes of the meeting. But we understand that councillors decided to formalize an arrangement with Marathon Gold for the hiring of Halibut members on the project. So without any engagement whatsoever with Halibut members, our council has jumped on the Valentine Lake bandwagon. The discussion comes after an appearance at the January meeting of council, where without advance notification to Halibut members, two marathon representatives gave a show and tell that was followed by softball questions from councillors. Indeed, Some councillors told me after they were reluctant to oppose a project they think will almost certainly go ahead. Might as well get behind it, they figure. There's nothing in two important announcements from Marathon in the last couple of weeks that will change their mind. The fourth quarter results and pre-visibility study have a rosy glow. Gold price up, war finds good, provincial government totally on side, and no resistance from indigenous groups that have got in the way of natural resource projects elsewhere in the country. Perhaps not surprisingly, Marathon Gold has become a darling of the investment community, a goodbye for investors when the rest of the stock market is so shaky. This week we're taking you inside the Bay Street Mind. In the interests of informing ourselves about what we're up against with the Valentine Lake Gold Mine, we're speaking with an analyst who offers advice to the big investors thinking of putting their money into the project. John Skolodnik is an equity research analyst for the National Bank of Canada. I started by asking him about how the price of gold is doing and what gold that's mined from Valentine Lake would be used for. Yeah, it's doing very well. It's certainly assuming its role as a safe haven asset. Uh, year to date, it's up about $170 U.S., so um, that's a, a pretty monumental move. Uh, today alone, it's up about $40 U.S. So, um, you know, with, with this type of scenario with, with a lot of economic uncertainty out there, 
Um, it always tends to do well with that safe haven bid, but it's also getting uh, kind of a, an extra boost from the lower interest rates, um, kind of with, with negative rates in, in Europe. Uh, kind of the prospect of those coming to North America now, um, you know, that, that the sacrifice that you have to make to hold gold um, in, in terms of foregoing interest payments is no longer there. So it certainly bids up the appeal of gold, and, and we've been seeing that lately. So the gold that comes from uh, Valentine Lake, uh, assuming it goes ahead, will that be turned into gold bullion that will be in some bank vault somewhere, or is it used for jewelry, or how is the gold uh, – what happens to the gold that comes out of the ground, and uh, how is it held for these investment purposes? The gold, it's one of the, you know, it's obviously commoditized, so it's all the same. doesn't really matter where it comes from, but, well, in terms of its production and source, it does in terms of uh, kind of the, the methods used to get it out of the ground. But once it's out of the ground, it's all considered equal. It can get smelted down. Um, and then, it, yeah, it typically kind of sits in a vault somewhere. I see. Uh, in terms of the, the industrial purposes, uh, due to the cost of it, it's generally prohibitive. Um, you know, there's a few unique instances, but not enough to, to move the price. Um, and in terms of applications, it's primarily used for, for jewelry and, uh, yeah, bars and coins. Um, but, but yeah, primarily it, it sits in vaults as a safe haven asset. So what, what proportion would be, is it mostly held in jewelry or does, you know, we see these images of these big blocks of gold held in a vault. Is that, uh, does that exist in real life or is most gold turned into jewelry and, and the jewelry is the investment? No, uh, a smaller proportion is jewelry. Um, in terms of demand for gold, a lot of it comes from primarily in terms of countries. It's China is the biggest gold consumer followed by India. Um, it's, it's jewelry demand driven there. Um, you know, part, part of it is due to, kind of cultural and some auspicious holidays where typically and traditionally you give gold as a gift. And then the final one, where I should mention it, is central banks, which are in the last few years have been, uh, you know, ramping up their their purchases of gold. So you did this um, report uh, on uh, Marathon Gold and the Valentine Lake development, and I, I assume this report is for the use of people who uh, are thinking of buying uh, buying equity in Marathon Gold. You can buy uh, you can buy on the Toronto Stock Exchange, uh, Marathon Gold. And I guess banks also would be looking at uh, investing at a certain point or, or giving uh, loans. So that would be the purpose of your report, uh, I assume, for those for those groups. Yeah, yeah. My, my reports are written for uh, institutional uh, equity investors. Um, so so that would be my, my client base. And, yeah, they accept the reports and um, – yeah, just advising on, on my view of the, the Marathon Gold stock and, and other gold-producing or developing stocks in my coverage universe. Hmm. Um, there's also, I, I work for National Bank Financial, so there, there's a, a retail group with financial advisors who, who also um, access the research and, uh, and can, can make trades right. based on it. So, And I see in the report that you, uh, you talked to the Marathon Gold people and you also made a site visit, so you were actually – on the ground in central Newfoundland, uh, in the in the woods where the uh, the mine would be built, and what what was I guess that's that was a, a bit of a unique trip for you, and uh, not like the ordinary day at the office. So, um, uh, you had to go down through Millertown, I guess, and go out uh, 
and uh, there I I've been to Millertown, but I haven't been to uh, the site itself. So I think it's a fairly long drive in there. So I guess that was a bit of an adventure for you. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a good trip. Uh, flew into Deer Lake. Yeah, drove out to Millertown, and um, yeah, then then stayed on the site. Um, Madison gave us uh, um, some uh, four wheelers to to get around the property, which is 20 kilometers long. So that's a big uh, a big investor point, and, and why investors are liking this stock is is the potential size of the deposit. So it's 20 kilometers long. Um, this mineralized gold belt trend, um, and so going out to site, you can kind of go to these different deposits, and they can show you kind of where the mineralization exists in these. They're called quartz tourmaline pyrite veins, and they show up as kind of these black bands or black streaks across the rock. So you can easily identify it, and, uh, yeah, it was nice going out to site, and, and that's what you need to, to really appreciate the scale of the, the project that they have there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, looking out at it on a map, um, you, you don't get the same, the same impression and, and uh, appreciation of, of how big the deposit could be. But, uh, yeah, no, it was nice being out at site and, and meeting, you know, the local workforce as well as, uh, you know, the management that's based in Toronto and uh, a great group there and, and, you know, obviously hardworking uh, group of people out there. And unfortunately, it, it's shut down right now, but hopefully it's uh, back up and operating soon. We have uh, uh, a unique uh, moment uh, right now in the economy. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned gold is up, so that's, uh, I guess, good for the prospects for for a marathon, um, I think um, I seen your report that uh, gold has to be somewhat above a thousand dollars U.S. per ounce for it to be feasible. So at uh, gold, I think is um, is probably five or six hundred dollars higher than that now. So there's a fair amount of uh, of margin for the uh, for the project. I.e., price the price could go down. Uh, Significantly, and the project would still be viable economically. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No, these guys are a relatively lower cost producer. Um, so, if the gold price were to come down, you know, there'd be other projects that would be hit harder and first before uh, Marathon's Valentine Lake project. Um, yeah. Under the the current current numbers, they, they just put out a feasibility, uh, sorry, a pre-feasibility study on Monday. Um, in that model, they run it at 13.50 per ounce gold and a 1.33 Canadian dollar to U.S. dollar, and it still gets a you know a highly attractive internal rate of return (IRR) of 36%. So the economics still work uh, phenomenally well even at 13.50. Obviously, the gold price is now at about 16.70, um, so the economics are even better. I like to take a conservative approach, so in the financial model that I have. Um, you know, we, we assume 14.50 per ounce of gold. Um, we also assume a 1.4 Canadian dollar, and we generate a, an internal rate of return of 28%, or a project net present value of $502 Canadian, and that's at a 5% discount rate. So, uh, aside from the numbers, yes, it, it's highly economic, and, and at this, we're at an all-time high Canadian gold price at about $2,400 per ounce. Um, so the economics for this project have, have really never been better. Um, and with kind of that new study um, showing a, a smaller scale, I think it's more more feasible than, than it's ever been uh, with the lower financing hurdle now. One thing you did say in your report <clears throat> is that Marathon's cost es- estimates were aggressive, which I think means that they were um, perhaps uh, assuming lower lower costs that might turn out to be uh, 
to be the case. And um, since you did your report, they have um, announced that they're not going to do the heap leach method, but there'll be milling. And uh, I understand that heap leaching is uh, is more uh, is is cheaper than milling. So would that um, would the decision to uh, not go with heap leach uh, affect your assessment of their the, the costing they have for the project? No. So so that study came out just on Monday. Um, so yeah, this is the new study that eliminates the heap leach operation, focuses on only a mill. And I was impressed to see that in terms of my estimates, my internal rate of return was, was relatively flat. It, it was up, a, you know, 28.2% from 27.7%. So up slightly. Um, so yeah, it, it is obviously higher cost, uh, to run a mill than a heat leach, but you can put higher grades through the mill and, and achieve higher recoveries, uh, from those. So, um, it, it's a trade-off there, and, and management obviously took took a lot of time to assess this trade-off and figure that it was worthwhile to scrap the heat leach. You know, there's upfront costs associated with that, so you need to raise additional financing to to develop the heat leach. Um, and in terms of the the ounces that it contributed, it was it was fairly marginal because you're putting the lowest grade material on there, and you have you know lower recoveries from the heat leach compared to the mill. Um, so it was marginal uh, in terms of the ounces produced, and uh, you know I, I think that it was a prudent decision of management to scrap it. Um, I think it, overall it just makes it a more manageable project. Um, the economics are, are still strong, and uh, it should be easier to permit as well with a smaller footprint. So what what do you think uh, they got away from the heap leach uh, method? Um, well, the, the the initial assessment had the mill option as well. It was going to be a dual circuit. You'd have a mill and a heat leach component. Mm -hmm. um, the, the heat leach component, it didn't add that many ounces. It was about 30,000 ounces per year to the product, to the previous production profile. Um, it, it, it helped put some of the, the material that would be considered waste and, you know, you get a, a few ounces out of there, but it wasn't that meaningful to the overall economics of the project. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a, a prudent move to, to get rid of that, uh, the heat leach. Um, also, you know, yeah, I, I guess more risky inputs with, with more, more cyanide, uh, solution involved, uh, with, with the heat leach. So, I uh, just think it, it'll help the permitting as well. Um, and, and the cost, yeah, it, it's a bit of a trade off in terms of the grades that you're putting through. Um, but yeah, I, I was impressed with the, the cost that came out on a per ounce basis from, from the feasibility study there. I guess, and I guess from a public relations point of view, heat bleach has a, has a bad reputation. There have been those, <clears throat> those horror stories of accidents elsewhere. So it, it takes that out of the equation. Um, and, uh, as you say, makes the permitting process, uh, easier. Um, I guess cyanide is used in the milling process, but not in the same quantities as in heat bleach. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not as exposed. Uh, you mentioned the the permitting process. Um, there is a the uh, a federal environmental assessment process, and uh, and Marathon is in the process of preparing preparing its uh, environmental impact statement. Um, and there is the uh, provincial assessment. Um, in your report, you talk about the relatively straightforward permitting process in Newfoundland, but of course there is the federal 
environmental process. So um, regardless of uh, the Newfoundland context, they still will have to meet the the, the federal requirements. So uh, how do those um, how do those work? Are they do they have to go to through two separate processes or are they interlinked somehow? Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll need to to be federally and provincially permitted. Uh, certain permit, certain provinces are, are more challenging than others uh, to get the, those provincial permits. Um, I, I don't expect uh, Newfoundland to be to be more challenging. So I think that yeah, kind of the, the critical pathway is through the federal uh, permitting process and and kind of the key milestones to achieve our um, the submission of of the environmental impact statement and that should be. Uh, filed next quarter in Q3 of 2020. And then that's going to be followed up with uh, uh, hopefully the completion of the environmental assessment process entirely uh, in mid-summer of 2021. And then, you know, they can get kind of the, the, the site-specific and sector permits uh, at site, uh, which are much less onerous and, and effectively somewhat uh, not rubber stamps, but, you know, they're a lot easier to achieve and it's a much less rigorous process than the big one is getting that, uh, the federal approval and getting that environmental uh, assessment uh, approved. Um, so once that's done, uh, yeah, the, the rest should, is expected to, to fall into place. Um, and then the timeline would be uh, after mid-summer 2021, after that EA process is, is approved, then they can go through the, the sector permits. Um, and then over an 18-month construction period, hopefully be pouring gold in mid-2023, according to the pre-feasibility study. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to take a more conservative approach, and, and just given, you know, the potential uh, short-term delays with with this COVID activity, I model first gold pour at the start of 2024, so kind of a, a six-month delay to be conservative. You see in your report that Newfoundland is one of the top mining jurisdictions in the world. Um, why is that? Is that because of the permitting process or the quality of ore? What what makes Newfoundland that uh, top mining jurisdiction? There are a number of, of qualities that that maybe really like Newfoundland. Um, yeah, it, as we spoke to the the cost, the power is relatively low. Um, the permitting pathway is clear. Um, it, it's a relatively, I think, hungry workforce with skilled labor that can be applied to mining. Um, I, re- I like the, the the landscape as well. Uh, it works for it. Um, you know, there, there's not a ton of uh, concerns. This is, you know, specific to Marathon, but in, not a lot of concerns in terms of wildlife um, nearby and, and also for, you know, just local opposition. Uh, people seem to be on board with it. Um, wanting to get kind of more economic activity going out there. Um, and then, yeah, the tax rate is, is, you know, relatively lower, making it more attractive to start a project. Um, so just a, a number of factors like that. And then, you know, it, it is in Canada, and, and that's been um, a, a huge benefit internationally for projects going forward. It's, it's certainly viewed as one of the more stable uh, operating jurisdictions in the world with experienced mining. Um, kind of all the supply chains to to feed a, a strong mining operation, and yeah, there there's there's not a lot I can say that I don't like about uh, Newfoundland in terms of a, a place to start a mine. John Skolodnik is an equity research analyst for the National Bank of Canada. As John Skolodnik mentioned, the environmental impact statement prepared by Marathon Gold will be filed later this year 
as part of the environmental review process, public funding will be available to hire experts to reply to the Marathon Environmental Impact Statement. That funding is available not only to the Halibu Band, but to independent citizen groups also. We'll keep you posted on that. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Mi'obigag, First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.